Are evolutionists suggesting space dinosaurs? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, November 27, 2023. In today's top story, researchers imagine what it would be like if dinosaurs existed on other planets. Um, hello, I'm Dr. Georgia Purdom here with Dr. Jennifer Rivera and Avery Foley. And so let's get right into this <laughs> idea of so-called space dinosaurs. Real-life Jurassic World may exist just on another planet. Now, when I read this article, I thought this just shows you how fascinated I think people are with dinosaurs, yes. like how much in love they are with dinosaurs, uh, because they, um, they are willing to say that if the conditions were maybe just like they were here on Earth, but on another planet, maybe we would have dinosaurs on those planets as well. So alien dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the evolutionary idea, you know, and the amount of, as we said, random chance things that have to come together so perfectly at just the right moment to even evolve into dinosaurs, that that exact same process in those exact same conditions under those exact same temperatures would have occurred in another galaxy on another planet <laughs> are dinosaurs again <laughs> is so extremely impossible. Yeah. It's interesting because as creationists, obviously we believe starting with God's word that dinosaurs and humans coexisted until dinosaurs went extinct. We get mocked for that probably more than anything else that we believe. That's probably yes. one of the primary things we get mocked for. These evolutionists are, are saying that dinosaurs and humans can coexist as long as they're not on the same planet. As long right. as those dinosaurs are way off in outer space living on some planet far away. Well, then you can have humans and dinosaurs at the same time. But to believe they lived on the same time here on this planet, crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting too because one of my biggest complaints was searching for life on other planets is the assumption that life on other planets would look exactly like it looks here on Earth. Yeah. I don't understand um, the thinking behind that because, like, why? Because according to evolution, again, the fact that it even happened here is just all by random chance. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to it, so to speak. So why would random chance produce the same thing in a complete on a completely different planet? That just seems kind of odd to me um, as to why mm -hmm. we're even looking for exactly like it was here. And even if we did find, so here's the funny thing about this. Even if we did find dinosaurs on another planet, they would just say, which again, the odds of that are very, very minuscule, right? Even in an, not from a creation perspective, we would not expect to find any kind yeah. of this alien life like this. But even if you could find it, okay, so not only why would it look exactly, and I just lost my point on that. I knew that was going to happen. The what? You were going to talk about conversion evolution. evolution. Oh, yeah. Conversion <laughs> evolution. That's what it was. Gotcha. So they would say, thank you. So they would say that. This is what happens after a holiday, right? Um, so they would say that, well, the fact that they all came to the same body mm -hmm. say, size and body shape and, you know, scales and mm -hmm. all that was because of convergent evolution. So this is the idea, even here on Earth, they'll say that all of these organisms, even why everything fly, why uh, birds fly and bats fly and insects fly, well, they all converged on the same kind of wing structure, you know? And so, but... But again, what are the odds on that? And all these completely mm -hmm. unrelated organisms from an evolutionary perspective, by random chance, just so happen to come upon the same design to do the same thing. It's just, again, the odds, they, believe, they have a lot more faith, so to speak, than I do um, to be able to believe in something like that. And the whole study is based on their view of the past. So they think, okay, well, at the past when dinosaurs were flourishing on Earth, oxygen levels were higher. So if we can take, we can kind of figure out what the, the fingerprint of Earth would have looked like at that time, time, we can look for that fingerprint on other planets, 
and that will let us Which know the conditions are right. All hypothetical. Because they weren't there they to measure right, oxygen levels there to and all that. Yeah. But if we find that fingerprint on a distant planet, then we'll know that complex life, maybe like dinosaurs, could have evolved on that planet. And I guarantee you, if they find dinosaurs on the planet, Elon Musk will find a way to get there and start tourism <laughs> on that planet. <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed. It's just a lot of, it's a lot of assumptions, right? So many assumptions. Uh, they go into the evolutionary <laughs> worldview and the evolutionary ideas when, again, God has given us the, his book, right? The Bible, where we can know about the truth about our origins here mm -hmm. on planet earth and he, he formed the earth to be inhabited um and we have all that evidence right for that and yet people don't believe it but yet yeah. they believe in space dinosaurs which they have literally have no evidence for so it just shows what people are really thinking yeah. about it it's a worldview heart problem yeah not an evidence problem all right so another dinosaur article dinosaur from <laughs> newfound species died in a pose that sheds light on evolution of bird behavior okay so we could actually reword that particular <laughs> title to say bird from Newfound yeah, Species died in a pose that sheds light on evolution of bird behavior. And so basically this is just an article about a bird that has been found in a bird posture. I mean, it's totally it's amazing. But the reason that they're calling it a dinosaur is because again, this evolutionary belief that mm -hmm. dinosaurs evolved into birds. So now all these dinosaurs, they're putting feathers on them, whether or not there's evidence in the fossil record for that. Um, sometimes, you know, they might say they have these sort of like filamenty looking things. And so they'll call those feathers or proto feathers or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they say that, and then we've had a, series of articles recently, it seems like they're really trying to push this agenda to say, well, look at all this other evidence that these are really birds or at least evolving into birds. It, yeah, you read through this article and they're talking about how this this little this little dinosaur is what they say is curled up. You know, a typical bird. You think of how birds sleep, right? Um, they'll they're going to wrap their head around, and so this is this little creature was buried just like that. And they're like, oh look, the the behavior that birds exhibit today, which we thought was unique to birds, dinosaurs are doing that. Well, if it looks like a bird and it sleeps like a bird, maybe it's a bird, <laughs> it's a bird. and not a dinosaur. And so all the, the birds that they're going to call dinosaurs that belong to this group, all of them exhibit characteristics of birds. Um, but of course, in the evolutionary worldview, uh, you see that coming, their, their whole worldview coming into play as they always want to label these creatures dinosaurs instead of labeling them birds, even though the evidence points towards them just being birds. A little bit different from birds we have alive today, right. but diversity in God's creation, we expect that. Lots of creatures have gone extinct since the flood. So. And of course, they say that this is what they call, you know, tangible evidence, right? That, you know, we have this bird-like behavior, you know, in this um, dinosaur, as they call it. And I really liked what they said here at the end of the article. They go, highlights that this avian-like thermoregulatory behavior evolved prior to the origin of flight. So I'm like, how, do you, how would you even know that, that they're saying, oh, I guess based on the timeline and the dating of this particular dinosaur, dinosaurs mm -hmm. evolved into birds. So look what they were doing before they even were able to fly, right? They were acting like birds. Well, that's well, because... Well, and they, they talk, too, about the, like, drastic mm -hmm. mineraliz mineraliz min miniaturization. There we go. Miniaturization. miniaturization. <laughs> that's hard to say. Um, <laughs> so the fact that, you know, dinosaurs, are obviously, a lot of them are fairly large, you mm -hmm. know, or at least a lot bigger than most of the birds that we have today. So they would have had to drastically reduce in size. Mm -hmm. But again, there's no mechanism for that. There's no mechanism to be able to change a dinosaur into a bird. Um, they mm -hmm. would say mutations and natural selection, that those are the main mechanisms. But 
when we study those mechanisms in the present, which we can do, we see they just don't do what evolution needs them to do, which is to gain a lot of information to go from a dinosaur to a bird. Because you have to get feathers. You have to get completely different bones. You've got to be able to fly. You, there's a lot of things that have to go into yeah. changing from a dinosaur to a bird. And there's just not a mechanism to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the problem of how is this creature buried? Like it's found in a sleeping position. It wasn't slowly buried. It had to be catastrophically rapidly buried to preserve it in that position. It's so like it's almost a complete skeleton. So it had to be preserved very quickly in order to, for us to be able to find it today. And again, in their worldview, that's a, a lot harder to explain than in a biblical worldview where we understand the global flood would have rapidly buried all kinds of different creatures. Yeah. So it's really amazing. A bird was found in a bird posture. And, you know, Sleeping. that doesn't really shed light on anything. You know, <laughs> no. it just helps us know I that. I think the fossil's cool, though. The fact, yeah, the, the fossil is the cool. The fact it's fossil's intact cool. And, and it's in that position, and we know exactly what it was doing when it was buried. That part yeah. of it's cool. It's pretty cool. But yeah. that birds, you know, amazingly were birds then, and they're birds now, and they act like birds. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Okay. Scientists just recreated the chemical reaction that may have led to life on Earth. All right. So, this is one of those clickbait <laughs> titles, just like the, even the, the space dinosaurs, basically, that whole idea. Yeah. Um, and, and when you really start reading the article, uh, Jennifer, you said, like, how did he even come up with this? <laughs> What's like, what, did, like, what did he even do? And what, what was the actual result? It was so vague. He right? did not like, create life. He did not like, create life. Nothing close. No, not and even. He, he's basically just, yeah. he's studying certain chemical reactions for pharmaceutical reasons, all right? So, which is good observational science. Mm -hmm. It's these re types of reactions called autocatalytic reaction, um, which are kind of basically the idea that once this reaction starts, it continues, okay? So it can make more and more of the same thing. Thing. Um, that's the idea. And so he's basically looking at them for pharmaceutical reasons, like how can we produce these chemicals to do this? But then he sort of extrapolates from that and says, well, what if um, these conditions were on early earth and this was here and this was here and eventually it led to forming this, which eventually led to life. That's and just a, that's a lot of storytelling. I, mean, I think he was successful mm -hmm. in producing what, what do you say, one element or just... A, a teeny tiny little bit that he said that the, the ribonucleotide building blocks. blocks. Yeah. But he would still have to explain, well, where did the chemicals come from that he used to even build the, you know, these. Yeah. How did the building blocks come together blocks, right. in any way that makes any sense and that's not in order to have information? They're yeah. so what? far off from creating life. Yeah, They're so it, desperate to create life. Oh, yeah. And we, this is not the first experiment that's tried to do that. We've no. talked about this right. many times before, going back, I don't know, decades, right? Well, because the we, yeah. they often want to talk about, just talk about evolution. Like, well, let's just talk about evolution. No, let's talk about the origin of life. Because if you're, you can't get, <laughs> evolution's irrelevant if you can't even get something non-life to come to life, so mm -hmm. to speak. So um, it's, they always are trying to answer this question because they do realize it's important to answer, even though they don't want to deal with it a lot of times. But basically what this article is trying to do is explain how RNA um, could have come about um, as maybe the first kind of building block for life. And so 
all, basically, most microorganisms, most organisms, except for viruses, right, um, which aren't really considered living anyways, are based on DNA. Like, we have DNA as our information molecule, but they don't, but DNA is very complex, very hard to form, so they say, well, maybe we started out with RNA, which is something that DNA, basically, you can make copies of it into a form, um, a different form called RNA, which then you make proteins from, and there's all different kinds of RNAs and stuff, but anyways, that idea is that, well, it would be simpler to make the RNA in the, in the built. So we're just talking about not even making a molecule of RNA, which has information on it. We're talking about making the individual parts of the RNA, which are called ribonucleotides. So um, being a geneticist myself, this process is very, very complex. So I just wanted to show you. So this is what it takes to make not even the final product, okay, to make the precursor <laughs> to the final product. It takes a lot of enzymes, a lot of molecules to come together to be able to form what eventually becomes a ribonucleotide. But again, just having the individual components, it's just like if you had all the individual components of a smartphone, let's say, okay? You have all the individual components laid out in front of you. It doesn't make a smartphone. <laughs> um, somebody intelligent is going to have to right. put those pieces together in the right way to make a smartphone. You need someone very intelligent to do that, okay? Um, and so it's the same way with this. Just because you have the components, you still have to have an intelligent designer, which the only one intelligent enough to do this is God to put the components together in the right way to be able to make something that's functional and living out of that. So this idea that, you know, somehow if you just add this or just add this, which again, they don't even know what the conditions were like on early earth. Like we talked about in the other story, it's just a bunch of um, assumptions that they're making mm -hmm. to try to get this, I, this idea of what could have happened billions of years ago. And I think it really goes back to when you see these headlines like on these articles, don't be alarmed and don't be taken aback, right? Because we keep yeah. saying you really need to read into the article and, and take a look at what are they studying yeah. and, you know, what is the actual research going on here? Because what you find is it's really not what we call good observational science. Mm -hmm. Most mm -hmm. of the time, anything dealing with evolution is going to be historical science based on assumptions and bias. Yeah. 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 You've got to have, too, even a way to make even the simplest chemicals have to have a way to be made. <laughs> um, and yeah. they have to have all their components there. Well, where did those come from? Again, it, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work when you look at this from an evolutionary perspective. All right, so next one is polymorphous perversity in the heartland. And so this is um, an article um, written by Dr. Albert Moeller down at Southern Seminary on uh, Alfred Kinsey, who is the, was the head of the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. And what has happened recently is that uh, the legislator in legislation, legislature, I can't talk today, <laughs> blah, legislature in Indiana, and this was signed by the governor as well, um, will no longer fund the Kinsey Institute um, as part of the university. And so that's a really good thing that's happened. It's surely taken a long time because the institute's been around for a long like time. 75 years or something? But, yeah, 75 yeah, years. So this is, some of you may be familiar with the, with the name Alfred Kinsey. And so he started the, um, basically the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction. And 
we won't even, <laughs> we're not going to go into a lot of what was done at the Kinsey Institute because it is just not shareable. Um, and and yeah. it's, it's awful to think about some of the things that happened there. It was a lot yeah. of sexual abuse basically on minors um, in the name of academic freedom, in the name of gender and scientific sexual studies basically to do this. And it's just, it's just awful to think that yeah. state, I live in Indiana, <laughs> that my state tax dollars have been paying for this. And so it's good to see that they're separating this now, but it's just, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible, um, um, history that we have with this. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he's really, I would call, they look at him as almost like the liberator of sexuality based on publications that he had um, in the 1940s. There's like two t uh, books that he published on male and females, and they are like heralded as like almost the Bible of what they say, sexual liberation. Mm -hmm. And we can see direct results of his um, agenda, because that's really what it was. Yeah. He wasn't doing scientific research. He had an agenda, mm -hmm. he had an ideology, and he wanted to push that ideology. And we can see the effects of that even today in mm -hmm. our society and the direct effect it had on liberating women and the abortion yeah. agenda the destruction of marriage and the divorce rates. So they say many of that just goes back to his agenda and what he was pushing and publishing under, like we said, what he called research, which was anything but that. Yeah, because what he wanted to do was use science to to liberate people, to show that all these these urges and desires people have, it's fine. It doesn't matter how like crazy and bizarre and like everyone else would be like, Ugh. he's like, no, that's there's no normal. Everything's fine. Everything's mm -hmm. acceptable. And here, I'm going to show how science proves that. So he science isn't neutral. He went into this with a worldview, mm -hmm. and then he did his research through the lens of that worldview to try and prove a particular point. And sadly, he was very successful. We still, like Jennifer was saying, we still see the fruit of his mm -hmm. thinking. Even if people don't know his name, the fruit of his thinking is all through the culture. And he was really big, as Georgia was saying, on minors. Again, no details. But we see the fruit of that happening in the culture, too, where if this is just natural and this is just normal, then why put an age limit on this? Why, why have any kind of restrictions? And so you see the fruit of an awful worldview leading to awful consequences that have left so many broken and hurting people in their wake. That's what always happens when people drift or outright reject the word of God as the starting point, because God, this is God's design. Marriage and sexuality is his design. And as soon as you want to free people from God's design, all you end up with is hurt and brokenness and pain. It's just the natural consequence of it. And it's really interesting too. So what has happened, um, so the university has had to decide, like, basically they want to split the Kinsey Institute off from the university. But of course, what has happened? The faculty and the students have thrown a fit about this and said, no, you can't do that. You know, we need this to be part of our university. And so they've stalled the vote on doing that. Now the legislature still has said, we're not giving any money to this place. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to fund it anymore. But it is, it, it's really it's sad to see them hide behind this curtain of academic freedom, you know, right? So, well, what can be done in the name of academic freedom then? Because there's a lot of sexual abuse and pornography and things that have come out of this. And I, I know for a fact that on many of these university campuses, if a Christian came to speak, right? They're booed, they're harassed, they're, they're, they have to sometimes fight for their life, basically, on these campuses. So there's no academic freedom. Don't, don't that's give me that, want. that that's supposedly no. the reason that this can be allowed to happen, because it just isn't true. It's that liberal, um, woke agenda that they want to push. And, and I hope a lot of parents really, you know, sit up and take notice of what is happening at a lot of these secular universities and what is being taught. We've seen this with the Israel-Hamas war right now and how mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, 
like shocked, you know, right at these university campuses that are just like all very pro Hamas. And you're like, well, what did you expect? I mean, this is what they're sadly, this is what they're being taught, right? Yeah. Um, these very liberal um, ideas of not, and they're not grounded in the Bible. They're not grounded in a biblical worldview. It's everybody decides truth for themselves, right? Everybody decide whatever they want, whatever they think is right. There is no right and wrong. You know, it's whatever works for you. Well, this is this is the outcome of that, and and you see that sadly. And so, um, I'm glad that the legisl. It's nice to see um, state governments stepping up to the plate and saying we're not going to fund this anymore. Like this is wrong, and so that's a good thing. And I do applaud them for that. And I hope the university follows mm-hmm. through now. On mm-hmm. that. And a lot of his data was falsified, right? They have verified that a lot of the re- didn't the, have a his lot of statistics, integrity. right? And. It was, uh, there was a, a gentleman that he actually almost hired, we could say, yeah. and, and flew into the country um, who, once again, had had relations with minors. And in this is all like public data, like you can have yeah. access to this. And so he, um, this Kinsey actually wrote, he said, he, to this gentleman, he said, I congratulate you on the research spirit, which has led you to collect data over these many years, mm-hmm. which involved like 600 minors. Uh, that under the guise of research, yeah. uh, but once again, yeah. and, they're and trying you see, to use science yeah. as an umbrella here, and, and is nothing more than abuse. And you see all of these college campuses all concerned about the names of things and statues mm-hmm. that are on the campus, but then you have a man like him who is just horrible and was proud of supporting these horrible abusive practices, and they're going to name a whole institute after him and keep the name and defend him, even though he was not someone worth defending. Really, terrible morals, falsified data being the lowest on the ranking of things he did wrong, you know, like just, just awful. Well, and I think too, uh, that verse in the Bible, it talks about they're calling evil good and good evil. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really what they're doing. They're really reversing it. And so again, this is why it's important for, I think of this as a, as a parent myself to really instill on our children, that biblical worldview, because they're going to face these kinds of things, no matter Mm -hmm. where they go Um, in the world, we can't hide them away somewhere. um, And, and we try to, you know, shelter them obviously as much as possible, but at the same time, to be able to help them know what is right and wrong. And that that's grounded in the truth of God's word. Mm -hmm. Right, it's not grounded in man's ideas or man's opinions or what man thinks is right and wrong because that's going to change all the time. But that there is one truth, right, and that's the truth of the Word of God and what He says about marriage and, and sex and gender and all of those things. Mm-hmm. All right, so this kind of leads into our next article: anti-abortion group shrug off election losses, looks to court state houses for path forward. And so one of the things I think this article really um, sort of brought brought forward was that there isn't a lot of unity among those that are a part of the pro-life movement and what. Mm-hmm. is the best next step because since Roe v. Wade got overturned we you know I think it was easy to think okay this is awesome and it's good I'm I'm thankful that Roe v. Wade got overturned yes. but one battle turned into 50 now <laughs> um, so now this is being fought at the state level and there have been a lot of losses like in the most recent election our neighbor here Ohio um, did not um, go with that well went with the constitutional amendment that basically legalized abortion at every every stage um, for any reason, you know, right? And so this is supposedly a very pro-life state, but yet they turn this down. And we've seen this in other states as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It happened here in Kentucky uh, and it's been very um, disconcerting. And I think it just shows that we all need to kind of, uh, I'm not saying there will ever be one idea about how to do this best. That would be nice, but that's not realistic. (laughs) But we do, I think, need to get a little bit more concerted effort and, and really think through these things a bit more. 
Yeah, and part of the problem is, as you read through the article, the author is interviewing people from different pro-life groups. She calls them all anti-abortion groups, but really, these are pro-life groups. And as she's talking to people from these different groups, they're all kind of saying, well, we need to maybe do this, or we need to maybe do that. And what you see is there's, they're not unified because they don't have the authority of the Word of God. You've got groups that have a different... Some of them have maybe a little bit of God's word, maybe basic Christian principles, but not the authority of God's word. No, this is what God's word says about life. This is how God values life. This is where we start with God's word as our authority, not with science, not with the, the baby's heartbeat, not with emotional arguments. We start with the word of God. That's the only way we can really be unified is around the word of God. And as soon as you don't have that as your foundation, well, then it's arbitrary. So everybody's going to disagree and have different opinions and and then you even see them as they go through, well, now we might have to moderate what we're going to accept. And well, maybe we need to start talking about, you know, when abortion should be allowed. Maybe focus on that. Like maybe cases of rape and incest, we'll focus on maybe abortion should be allowed in that case, but all these other ones, no. No, we need to focus on what does the word of God say? Because God says the lives of those children that are conceived under those horrible circumstances, their lives still have value because they're people made in God's image and they don't deserve to die for the crimes of their father. So we need to be united on the word of God. Otherwise, it's always going to be broken and fractured and all over the place. So I think the article is good in bringing that to the attention that the biggest issue probably with the pro-life movement is how we are yeah. We all have different definitions of life, and oh, let's celebrate you know, the 15-week ban, or let's celebrate the 30-week ban, or let's get really upset when you know, they say, oh, we're going to allow abortion up to week 40. Right. But really what it comes down to is abortion is murder from the moment right. of fertilization, any point after yeah. that, and that is when life begins, and that needs to be our foundation and our right. starting point. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of lacking a foundation right now you know, mm -hmm. upon to which to build the pro-life movement. Um, and I th that was a really good point I thought that they brought out um, in this mm -hmm. article, because it is true, and we do see that, uh, but we're not going to be happy with anything right. until it's to the point of fertilization. And I, and I think, too, it shows that we can't depend on laws and government to be the solution to this, <laughs> because we need to be doing this individually as Christians through our mm -hmm. churches, through pregnancy care centers. Um, we need to be not just donating money, but donating time and energy to those things to help these women on a very one-on-one -on -one level to know that there is help for them, there is hope for them. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, hope is in the gospel. The way yeah. to truly resolve yeah. this is through the gospel, not through laws and government. We, we certainly want those things. We want it to be outlawed, but that's not the ultimate solution to this, mm -hmm. right? The ultimate solution is the gospel and showing people that we care. And what I really like too, so one of the things, so it does sound kind of gloomy, but the fact is that 21 states now have laws that basically um, prohibit abortion at any stage. So that is something to be thankful for. And I am thankful for those 21 states that have enacted that, um, and we definitely hope more will follow. Now, we have a great resource uh, by Dr. Georgia Purdom and yeah. Stacia McGeever. It's called Crafted by God. Uh, and it is, I say, it's probably the most powerful pro-life book for children, um, you know, just yeah. really discussing the sanctity of human life from the moment of fertilization to the point of natural, natural mm -hmm. death. So Yeah. Yeah. We really hope that lots of parents yeah. can be encouraged by that. And it's great even for pregnancy care centers, for new moms, and just to kind of help encourage them. And, um, and hey, this, this is a little baby in the womb, right, growing and mm -hmm. um, is making 
made in the image of God and um, regardless of ability or disability or ethnicity or any of those things, that um, they are this from the moment of fertilization. So we hope that that will bless and help people. All right, Arizona street preacher father fighting for his life after being shot in the head. So this happened just a couple weeks ago now. Um, Terrible, terrible thing. This is in Glendale, Arizona, which is just a a suburb of Phoenix, where he was out basically um, announcing his church's services and inviting people to come. They're right outside his church, and he was shot in the head and and is now still fighting for his life in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, we were trying to get an update, but it looks like three days ago he was, right. he's still alive. Still so fighting. as far as we know, yeah. he's still he's in critical condition. Yeah. But um, it, it's just, when you read articles like this, and some of the people they interviewed in the article, like who work nearby, because he would regularly do this. He'd go outside and he'd preach. And one of the neighbors is like, yeah, he gets yelled at all the time. He gets all these hateful comments yelled at him, all sorts of mean things. And he never responds. He just mm-hmm. keeps on preaching and just smiles and keeps going. I mean, going. there were witnesses that said he wasn't engaged in any hate speech. Like, right. He wasn't like he's doing just, anything like that. He was just being loving yeah. and trying to just share. Yeah. And obviously they haven't Christ. caught the person yet. So they have no yeah. idea what their motive was. The fact that he was street preaching and then got shot kind of points towards a potential random, motive, right. but we don't know for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it is that this is charged by the fact that this is a preacher preaching the gospel, as awful and horrible as it is, and to see it happening in the U.S., it's, it shouldn't be shocking because Jesus warned us, people hated me, they're going to hate you, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It's what comes of being a Christian and preaching the truth. Yeah. And that's what we need to remember. And this particular um, suburb, it's interesting in Glendale. So this is where Arizona Christian University is located. I've been there a couple of times and they, um, their students are no longer allowed to be student teachers in the public school system there. Um, And so it's becoming, it's interesting. It's becoming almost seems like very Mm -hmm. anti-Christian. And, you know, so this isn't just happening there, obviously it's happening in many other places as well. And so just be in prayer for um, this man, um, obviously, yeah. he's a father, he's a husband, and um, military too. He's like an mm-hmm. active military yeah. medic. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. Homeschooling's rise from fringe to fastest growing form of education. So, this was a pretty amazing article. They this did a, a lot cool of study, a mm-hmm. lot of research here to show what is happening with homeschool. And I, I think a, a lot of times, a lot of people thought, well, okay, because of the pandemic, obviously, a lot of people started homeschooling, you know, and all of that. And, but what they're seeing is that it's continuing. Um, the, the rise in homeschooling is not tapering off, so to speak, like they thought it would or decreasing. It's actually continuing to increase. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, by quite a percentage over public schools are dropping. Private schools are going up a little bit, but homeschool is by far the (laughs) fastest growing. It increased 51% over the past six school years, uh, which is, that's, that's a lot of kids when Mm -hmm. you think about it. And it's pretty amazing. Now the person that wrote this article is very anti-homeschool. It's very (laughs) obvious as soon as you start reading it. (laughs) It's very, homeschooling is a largely unregulated practice once confirmed to the ideological fringe. So you get, you get the bias right there at the very yeah, beginning. For sure, for sure. <laughs> but but it, yeah, I mean, yeah, to see a hundred eight, hundred and eight increase just in Washington D.C. Right? in homeschooling, Crazy. and it was two hundred percent in the state of New York, is just phenomenal. Now we shouldn't be totally surprised no. by this. Um, 
as we can see what they're pushing into public schools. And, and the author does yeah. eventually get to, well, why is this happening? She's almost <laughs> like perplexed by it, you know, because public schools are kind of so amazing, right? She kind of talks about that. And, and like we said, we, there are some great Christian teachers in public schools, but they definitely, the public school and the government has an agenda here. They want to mm -hmm. capture the minds of our children uh, to that agenda, a very anti-God agenda. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that she finally does hit some of the key things that I do mm -hmm. believe are probably directly related to this increase, that being of which is sexual identity, because we can see that very much pushed out in the culture today, um, as well as other things that she highlights. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and she, as the article is going through, the, the author is talking about, how, like, it almost seems like perplexed because the author's like, well, even in areas where they have really good schools right. that yeah. have really good scores. Or have great test scores. I'm thinking they're still, parents are still pulling their kids out of that system. It doesn't seem to matter. They couldn't figure out, it's not a particular demographic. It's not a particular area. Like even in, in like the Bronx, it increased by 358%. And they were like, that's not where you expect homeschooling to be skyrocketing. What is going on? I think they're finding out, and, having been a longtime classroom teacher, I can tell you, just because your kids are doing great on standardized testing does, just means that you taught <laughs> yeah. them how to, how to take the test, take the test well. Yeah. Right. It has nothing to do with their measure of knowledge. Well, yeah. and one of the things that's interesting, too, um, the, the concern about homeschooling by this author and by yes. some other people as well, the lack of exposure <laughs> to diverse points of view. And I'm like, no, if you're doing homeschooling well, you are exposing your child to these different points of view, and you're helping them see the problems with those from a biblical standpoint, from a biblical worldview. If anything, in the public school system, you're definitely not seeing no. all the points of view. You're I can guarantee that. Um, and so that is something where I think that homeschooling has an advantage. Now, it's not to say that there aren't some really good um, Christian public school teachers out there that mm -hmm. are trying to really mm -hmm. make a difference where they are because they they do exist. Um, mm -hmm. I know some, and they and they have it tough. But I, I appreciate um, the mission field, basically, that they're on and what they are trying to do in providing a quality education for students because not everybody can homeschool, and we understand that. But um, but at the same time, it's, it's nice to see this. And one thing I will say, they talk about a voucher program. Like a lot of states are wanting to give parents money for homeschooling. No, you don't want that because that anytime the government gives money, it gives the government the right to say what's done with the money, right? And so yeah. we got to be really, really careful not to, to fall into that basically. trap. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to yeah. be a slave to the government. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it was yeah. interesting. One of the things she brings up of why this is odd. She says the personal cost to homeschooling are more than just tuition. They're restructuring of the way your family works. Yeah, you can only like have you one have person to do a working lot in right. order to Someone's, homeschool. Right. Someone's got to like, stay home. Families have to do so much. Why are they homeschooling their children? Because kids are worth it. Like, yeah. because parents make the decision that mm -hmm. it's important to them. They value that more than they value have, being able to go on vacation or have a second car or whatever the case may be. Because they really value that. And I think the author kind of misses that a little bit too. Because some of the, the parents they talk about in here, their kids were being bullied really awfully. And so they pulled their kids out of school because they right. didn't want their kids experiencing that. Like their child's well-being is worth the sacrifice that it takes. So for all the homeschooling parents who are out there who are sacrificing a lot um, to, to homeschool their children, including my parents. Because we're all homeschool parents here yeah, too. Yeah, so yeah. all of us It's worth it and way to go. And, and for mm -hmm. all the parents who, you know, you've, obviously every parent makes their own choice for school choice. We're not saying homeschooling is the only option or anything like yeah. that. We have to remember the key thing for whatever way you choose to, to school your child. You are the primary person yeah. discipling your children. God has given that responsibility to you. Never put it off on the church. Never put it off on the Christian school. Never put it off on the public school. 
Don't assume homeschooling will save your child. You are the one who is supposed to be discipling your children, pointing them toward Christ and trusting in, in, in the Lord and his work in their heart. So never forget that. Whatever yep. choice you make for your kids, never, ever forget. We do have a great uh, Bible curriculum. We oh, just yeah. want to highlight real quick our ABC are Bible curriculum for homeschooling. And we mm-hmm. have year four. Year four correct? will be released this January or next, Woo, just so in a super couple months about here. That. Yeah. yeah. And so it has, it's for kindergarten through fifth grade, enables you to teach all the kids at one time, but they have different workbooks for the different grade levels. And another great tool we have is our Kids Answers magazine. Um, so this comes out four times a year, and we now have it available as its own gift, as its own subscription. So um, we have a great Answers magazine as well for adults and teens, but you can now get this one separate. This would make a fabulous Christmas present yes. for your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews. You know, the yeah. kids love getting mail, right? And so this is a chance for them to get something fun um, in the mail four times a year, really building that biblical worldview in your children, lots of great activities, science experiments, all kinds of things for them to do. So we encourage you to find out more on our website about that and um, join us here next Monday at 2 p.m. for Answers News. See you later. See ya.